Hi, and welcome to From a Full Cup. I'm your host, Natalie Mullen, a certified wellness educator, speaker, facilitator, and teacher. From a Full Cup is a mental wellness education podcast that helps women prioritize their wellness and put themselves first because you can't pour from an empty cup. I present unique wellness tips and strategies in ways that are relatable and practical and can be adopted for your lifestyle. Whether I'm speaking at an event, facilitating a workshop, or coaching clients, I'm passionate about helping women dream big, take action, and move the needle forward to achieve the life they want. Now, let's get started. Hi, and welcome to From a Full Cup. I am so excited to have with me Siobhan John today. We are in for a great conversation. Siobhan, welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you so much, Natalie. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, So I consider myself to be a multi-passionate or multi-hyphenate person. So wear many hats proudly, uh, a well-being strategist, wellness advocate, mental health advocate, uh, someone who is very passionate about community and essentially just like everything that I feel, the roles that I play or like what I like to embody, I think all revolves around just uh, a deep passion for our well-being, not only our individual well-being, but our collective well-being. So I consider myself to be more of an advocate of wellness, not an expert on wellness, um, but definitely someone who is on a continuous journey of learning and unlearning Uh, about what it means to be well in in society within our individual families and our individual collectives as well too. Wow, there was so much you said there just in the intro that I want to respond to. I love that. First of all, multi-passionate people. I think so many times in society, we try to force people to be siloed and have to identify with one specific um, type of identity or type of role or responsibility. And there is room for all of the ideas that you have, all of the passions that you have, all of the things you want to explore. And I love when more and more people talk about that because there can be a negative connotation. Sometimes people make it seem like, oh, you only have to focus on one thing. But If we have been given those passions and they are innately within us, I feel like it is our responsibility and it is a part of us honoring our own well-being to pursue those different passions, those different interests, to really live a full life and to be fully fulfilled. So if you're only honoring one of those passions or interests, you are actually denying yourself your full creative potential. I completely agree. I think for a very long time, as you mentioned, like we are conditioned to pick one thing, have one lane, and a lot of times made to feel a sense of shame that you're kind of all over the place or that you're not sticking to one thing. And, you know, if we're blessed in this lifetime to have longevity in our life, like we're never going to be one singular dimensional person. Um, We should have the ability and um, feel good about the fact that you want to try different things. You want to wear different hats. Um, so I think I'm really in a space right now where I'm embracing all of the aspects of myself, of loving fitness, loving, you know, working in tech, doing all of these different things and having a career that is like a mosaic versus just one singular chapter in a book. So tell me then, Siobhan, about your backstory. How did you get into this line of work of And even if it's different lines, they all kind of support each other. So how did you kind of get to where you are right now? I mentioned being a wellness advocate. 
Um, and my journey into doing this work, and I think often for a lot of folks who are very passionate about well-being, comes from personal stories, <laughs> and often personal stories of unwellness. Uh, so I, for me, I navigated into the world of well-being, um, whether it is from a self helping and supporting people with self-care or what our definitions of self-care to working with organizations and employees about workplace well-being from my own experiences with struggling with my well-being and my mental health. Many years ago, I had many struggles with mental health challenges and uh, just even my own unraveling of understanding my relationships to work and having a very poor relationship to work that was uh, unmasked <laughs> through how realizing that through my unwellness. So using work as a coping mechanism and that kind of opened the door of realizing there was a lot of things that I had to unpack and support myself. So once I had that journey of realizing um, that I was struggling with my well-being and my mental health, uh, through therapy and other different modalities. Fitness was a big part of my journey in terms of the awakening of taking care of self and then realizing that wellness was much more holistic than just our physical health, but also our mental health or social well-being. Um, having that opportunity to access different resources, learn from different teachers, it really inspired me as I was learning, as I was on my healing journey to follow more in or dive more into this world. Um, so while I was still, you know, working in other unrelated fields like communications, project management, tech, on the side, I was just like learning as much do while doing that healing. And really it really inspired me to um really dive more into different tools, different things, and like just our own definitions of what it means to be well. Because on the outside for a lot of folks, I was well, I had a great job, I was working really hard, um, I was, you know, doing what it took to be successful, but behind the scenes, I was not well at all. And I thought that like having that awakening really showed like, I'm probably not the only one <laughs> who's feeling this way too. And it really it, uh, created this passion and journey of really peeling back those layers of like our different definitions of what it means to be well. And often, in learning through that, sometimes what we're taught of what it means to be well or what it means to practice self-care isn't actually supporting us or will not always support us through different moments of our lives. My journey into, you know, being kind of an advocate came from uh, my own personal journey of learning how to be an advocate for myself. That is so powerful. I think when you get to a point where you realize First of all, you have that kind of awakening moment where you're like, I'm not well, I, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not happy with how I feel, how things are internally, how I'm thinking. And then when you get to a point of, because, you know, sometimes people get to the awareness, but then do they take action? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I love that you said that you took action. You pursued therapy, you pursued different modalities, you pursued different teachers, strategies, tools that you could use in support of your well-being to take that action to move you from that kind of place of what I imagine was a, a low period in time, right? And you talk about the fact that other people you looked well. And I think that that is so important because I think a lot of times people are kind of going through life. They're going through the motions. I like to describe it as being on the hamster wheel of life. And 
sometimes they're not even aware, but the, the people around them, they're not aware of what's going on inside with that person, what their thought patterns are, how their feelings are, what their identity and their beliefs are about themselves. And so if you can get to a point where you're like, this is not okay, I need to make a change. And then you can get to a point of, I'm going to advocate for myself because some of the changes that need to happen are, are outside of yourself. Sometimes you might need to make shifts in your work environment or in your family environment with your friends, right? When we look at wellness, we're looking at it in a holistic way. So we can't just silo our life and say, well, I can only deal with this one area because everything is interconnected. Everything impacts each other. And so I really love what you're saying. And and I am curious to know, what would your definition of well be? What does that mean to you to, to be well? Yeah, that's a great question. I think over time, it is definitely like shifted. And just from the learning and unlearning, I think often wellness or well-being is presented to us as this like one state in our lives or having uh, a perfect routine or accessing different things. And I think for me, well-being is something that is less about one static state, but many different states of action and versus it just being this like one singular thing, but a way of being, a way of being of taking action and self-advocating for ourselves in a way that supports us in moments where we need it most, being okay with doing the thing that is uncomfortable, <laughs> uh, knowing that it will support you. Um, well-being for me is less about um, products or things that I have to um, consistently or perfectly engage in, and more about uh, the way that I uh, step up for myself and show compassion to myself, check in with myself, and also uh, for me, my definition of well-being has very much expanded to not only my own personal wellness and only thinking it from a singular perspective, but the wellness of like our, my community. So community and family, community and friends, and even the broader community. And I think that that's definitely really been top of mind and amplified, especially in the last couple of years when we were sort of dealing with the ongoing impacts of like the COVID-19 pandemic and all of these other things and seeing how it it feels so disjointed to, to just focus on this singular version of wellness when there's so many other folks in different structures and systems that are unwell. I really like the perspective of thinking about the collective wellness and the collective well-being because our society, especially in Western society, it's very individualistic. It's very me, me, me. Um, what's in it for me? I'm all about me. And even when we think about self-care, sometimes it can be positioned as being selfish, right? And people will say, oh, well, you're taking this time for yourself. But when I think about self-care, when I think about wellness, I'm thinking that if you can fill your cup and have it so full that it overflows and you can now impact other people and serve from a full cup. That's why I have this podcast name is from a full cup that we can serve others, that we can impact others. And that that impact would help us all to achieve a higher level of wellness. So I love that idea of talking about that collective wellness. And it's really important to tap into that. And, and it's even a reminder for me because I think sometimes you can be focused on your own well-being and and it is a good reminder to check in and be like, 
this is me in relation to the collective. And if the collective is not well, then how can I be well? Like they do go together. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I'm just curious, what's one major challenge that you've had to kind of overcome in this wellness journey that you've been on? So I would say it's less about the overcoming, but um, making, I don't know if it's making peace, but I would say my mental health journey. Um, I, I hesitate with saying like, I've overcome depression or anxiety. I think it's definitely something that I have learned to have as a sidekick in my life. Um, and it has seen me through many different journeys and cycles. And I think for me, um, I see it less as something that has held me back in life. I think there was periods where I'm like, this is holding me back or, you know, from my, my potential or different things like that. And more of, especially as someone who works in the space of well-being, of it allows me to approach things from uh, a very intentional, like empathetic lens of like really understanding for folks who might also share these struggles, but also knowing that we're all going through something, whether it's like a clinical sort of diagnosis or other different things, like it really allows me to, you know, always pause and and think from that compassionate and empathetic lens. Um, but it can be challenging at times, you know, like, you know, there's different cycles where things are great and other cycles where I'm just like, I have to be super mindful about how I'm feeling or, you know, there'll be moments where you're on highs, where you're summiting the mountains and others when you slope. So I think if anything, it, it's kind of like that sidekick that I have um, that always reminds me to, to pause, to be self-compassionate. Some days are better than others. Some moments or seasons are better than others, but I definitely feel it's something that um, I'm constantly you know, summiting. Yeah, I appreciate that because it's so true. And I think a lot of times we're thinking that when, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, that maybe you reach a pinnacle or a certain level of enlightenment or achievement with well-being. And it's like, oh, I've got it all together now. And I'm a big fan of personal development, personal development books, motivational speakers, all of that. But sometimes they they make you feel like you you're you know you're striving to reach this this yeah. final aha moment and if you don't reach that you feel like well is something wrong with me or even especially if you are working towards that you use the tools you use the strategies but then you just have an off period whether it's a day a week a month and i think that i that's life i really do and i think that life is cyclical just like how we see that we have four seasons and they repeat themselves i think that's also reflected in even our state of well-being and i think it's important as you said that we have tools and strategies to kind of support us along that journey but you have to be gracious and compassionate to yourself as you go through the ebbs and the flows because Otherwise, you will think of yourself as robotic and and as if you can program yourself. And we are we can't program ourselves to respond to life in a certain way. And life is happening around us as well. So we are in control of our lives. But our life is also happening around us. So we have to understand that as we are navigating life, because we don't know what we're doing. Every, every day is a new day. It's a new opportunity. Every year is a new year. We're 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 treading on new territory. We're entering into new territory all the time. And so we haven't been exactly given a manual for it. So we're all just trying our best to figure it out. So I really kind of appreciate that perspective and just honoring and giving yourself self-compassion to say, this is where I'm at right now. 
it's okay. Give yourself grace to go on. Not every day is going to be good. I just wrote uh, in my newsletter, I just wrote that. I said, I felt like the last week was off for me. And I was like, okay, the first thing I had to do was just recognize it. Like I'm kind of in a slump. Why do I feel like that? It's okay. I can just kind of pause and honor that feeling. And then what can I do to slowly move myself forward nonetheless? And so I, I really appreciate that. And now something I am curious about, because I know you have experience in wellness related to the workplace. And, you know, we're going to talk about it for a little bit, but some people might say right off the bat, well, their workplace doesn't have a, a program for mm. well-being. So what do they do? Uh, to be honest, a lot of workplaces do not have yeah, a well-being yeah. program, which is a problem. Uh, but nonetheless, what would you say to those people? As you said, like a lot of folks might not even have programs in their organization. And to that, I say um, that is okay because I think a common misconception or one of the main issues when we think about well-being at work is that it's often thought about in the programmatic lens where it's like in order to be well at work, there needs to be yoga that's offered or meditation apps or different things like that. And it's just like for a lot of folks, that's where it stops. Like the wellness program is there. The EAP program is there. It's up to you as the employee individual to access it. We've already given you the things go and use the things, right? And I think that when it comes to practicing and supporting and prioritizing our well-being at work, we have to make the shift that we shouldn't only think about it in terms of we need a program that we need to access into. Because oftentimes when it when you think about working in uh, an organization and depending on the, the place that you might work, do you even have time? <laughs> Does that organization even give you the space to access all of the programming that is offered. So they might offer lots of things and you might be like, this is amazing, but you your calendar stacked or they haven't taken the time to consider how work is designed to enable their employees to be able to use it. So the first thing I would say is that if you don't have that programming, that alone is not um, what you need to be able to feel the ability to have permission to support your well-being at work. So when it comes to what are some things that you can do, there's a couple things. So first thing is getting in the habit of making it a priority to check in with yourself. I think when we go to work, it's so easy. And depending on the environments that we work in, unfortunately, and this is something I'm very passionate about, I feel like everybody should be able to go to work and work in, in environments where they're safe, where they feel that they're doing work that is meaningful, um, that they are inspired by, that they are working in, in wonderful collectives. But as we know, that is not the case um, for a lot of folks. Uh, and I think oftentimes we end up in work and we're suppressing ourselves. We're suppressing our emotions. Depending on where you are, you might not even feel psychologically safe. So it becomes even more vital for us to get in the habit of checking in with ourselves. Like, how are we feeling? How are we really feeling? Right. I think I know for myself personally, I went through lots of seasons where it's like, how are you? I'm fine. I'm OK. And it's like those aren't emotions. And for me personally, those were like my I don't want to actually tell you how I'm doing. That's like my my default because there's a lot of other stuff. So like taking that time to like really check in, especially if you're in environments where you feel like you constantly have to shrink or suppress taking those that intentional time of like 
really getting to the heart of how you're feeling because those emotions will show up in other areas, you know, in the tension and things like that. The second thing I would say is like, you know, taking some time to get intimate with like your beliefs about work and success and rest as well too. So oftentimes when we think about um, being successful at work, uh, a lot of things, depending on even our upbringings, even it's about working really hard. And if you're, you know, as a black woman growing up with like immigrant parents, it was about, you have to work twice as hard. Um, you know, don't brag, like make your work seen for yourself. So growing up with like sometimes, and even in our environment, even with loved ones or family members who meant well, we sort of inherit a lots of different beliefs about how we exist in workplaces where we might be overworking, you know, uh, where we might believe that taking rest is like lazy or you, or you feel guilty about doing that. Uh, so taking that time to kind of like get really comfortable with like, what do I actually believe about like what it means to be successful, working hard, rest and recovery. Um, and even things like, you know, taking the time to like check in with your own personal values. Because uh, oftentimes we might be working in organizations where there's like a values mismatch or the work that you're doing, you know, it just, it's, it's not aligned. And that often can also lead to feelings of burnout. When we think about burnout, it's often like overwork is kind of the thing that we think about, but there's other factors as well, like being in environments where you don't have an actual alignment with the values can be extremely emotionally draining and exhausting. Uh, another thing that we can also do in terms of like prioritizing your well-being is thinking about the ways you work and engage with work and how your organization designs work, right? Are you in an environment where your day is stacked from nine to five with meetings all, all day, all week? Do you have space in your calendar to breathe? Like what kind of boundaries can you create for yourself or have you created for yourself um, that you feel empowered that you are able to do to be able to give you the space within your day to prioritize, to have space, to think, to rest, recover. Uh, and another thing I would say is that think about like your opportunities to have connection at work. Uh, when we often think about kind of prioritizing our well-being, again, beyond just the programmatic lens or just making time for self-care, having a sense of belonging community is so important. You know, there's lots of research about how loneliness can also heighten your risk for feelings of burnout or risk of burnout. Uh, so when we think about the fact of like when we're working in different environments, like what support systems do you have? What communities like do you have colleagues that you can confide in that are that you can make consider, you know, friends, um, all of those things play a big part in our well being. And we often kind of might overlook that and not feeling but think about those moments in our just our lives, like when you are going through things, or even just experiencing joyful moments, we're often doing that in community. And the same thing is very much necessary when you're in a work environment as well. I, I love that it was such a great answer. And I'm going to just talk about the last one about community, because I think that right now, because of remote work, I think that we're seeing a lot of people feel even more isolated. And I think a lot of organizations, corporations, workplaces are kind of trying to figure out how can we still engage our employees? How can we still make them feel like they're a part of a team? when they're working remotely. And it's an interesting challenge, right? Because 
I personally am of the view that nothing will ever beat those in-person connections. Most people need that engagement for different reasons, not just for productivity purposes, but even to connect with each other and to remember our humanity, to be able to say, oh, hey, what did you do on the weekend? Or, oh, I like your sweater. Or, oh, you dropped something. Let me help you. And then in that moment of you both picking up the same thing and you bumping heads and now you're laughing together, that was an opportunity for just like little human connections, even the power of touch, shaking someone's hand giving them a hug, uh, giving them a pat on the back, you know, whatever that might be, those are things that actually support our well-being as well and remind us that we are not alone. And I always believe that we were made in a world, there's 7 billion of us here, so we weren't made to do life in isolation. And that idea of community is really important. And also, I think sometimes people think it's not you know, they're worried about how do they make those personal relationships at work. And I would really encourage people to just try. You might not be close with everyone, but even just having one colleague that you can call and be like, hey, this is what happened today. Or I'm going through a really hard time. Can I talk to you? I, I'm stressed out. I need support. I need advice. I need guidance. Whatever it is, whether on the positive end or the negative. And I just think that having relationship with people asking people about their families asking them about the food what what did you eat for lunch today what did you do on the weekend where do you want to travel to on your next vacation you know these kinds of conversations and to an extent you can have them remotely too but you just have to be intentional right because I think it's so easy to just kind of get caught up on your computer and you're just typing 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 sometimes we're forgetting the basics of our well-being which is to eat <laughs> Yeah, just for your basic needs. Like, did you drink water today? Even if you're in an office or working remotely, did you get up from your desk? You know, did you get some sunlight? Did you talk to somebody, be social? Like, it's also remembering as well that like wellness is a holistic concept, right? So yeah. it's like your physical well-being, your emotional health, like taking care of all of those different aspects is in, important. And I would say as well, just to add uh, to you mentioned as well, but the community aspect too, um, a lot of the things that I shared were definitely things that an individual can do, but when it comes as well to well-being at work, organizations have a lot, <laughs> a big lion's share of, of things that they should be able to do. So in order to create community or to feel the safety to engage with others, like organizations play a big role in, in making sure that there's the safety to do that, right? And creating environments where people can make those connections. And if they are doing return to offices, being very intentional about like when people are gathering, like it's one thing to say, hey, we value in person and everyone should just come back. But it's like, if everyone's coming back, but no one's talking and we're all still on Zoom calls, having meetings, that's not actually supporting anyone's well-being as well too, right? So it's very, it's being about very intentional about like um, how we, how we view work, how work is designed, the ways that we work together, the ways that we think about working as a collective um, and uh, being intentional about how we rest and recover together as well too. Uh, there's like so many folks like who have vacation and benefits, but may not be using them, you know, and it's like from an organization perspective, that should be a red flag as to are our programs accessible? Do people have time to use them? Do they even understand? Right. So it's definitely very much uh, a relationship and should not, um, at least from an individual who is trying to navigate things, they should never feel like their failure it's or it's their fault if they're not 
able to access or feel like they're maybe struggling with things because there are so many things from an organizational perspective that needs to happen or should be really focused on in order for all of these things to happen as well too. I was just having a conversation with one of my friends on Sunday and she works remotely, but her organization has a policy that they have to come into work, uh, I think once a week. But when she comes in, there's only two people on her team. They both sit in their own separate offices and do their work on their computers. Mm-hmm. So the most that they have is like a high and buy. Yeah. And so I was asking her, what is the point? And she was like, I have no clue. And so I think what you said about being intentional, if you're going to bring people back into the office, create opportunities for them to engage, which means you're going to have to maybe say in this hour, this is actually community time. We're going to get off of our computers. We are going to physically come in the same room and we are going to talk to each other. Maybe we're going to have a communal lunch or a communal workshop or or something like that. But um, I'm curious to know what are some of the common gaps that you have observed in existing corporate wellness initiatives and what kind of strategies do you think can address some of those gaps that you've seen? Deloitte did some really great research uh, this year that with CEOs or C-suite executives and employees, which indicated that there is a very big gap between executive perception about well-being and what's actually happening. So folks in the C-suite, about 77% of them believe that their employees' well-being has actually been improving um, compared to last year, whereas employees, only 33% actually said that that is the case for them, right? Wow. So what we're seeing is that, and that obviously is a gap in terms of when it comes to focusing in on well-being and well-being initiatives at work, or even how we think about it, is that what is actually happening is not really reflected or even understood at the senior levels. They might be thinking that things are going a lot better or making decision decisions that are based on kind of broad assumptions. So when we think about like hybrid remote work, um, there's a, you know the common beliefs about remote work, obviously, or one of the pain points is isolation and feelings of loneliness. Um, so the thought is, well, let's bring everybody back, right? And it's sort of being made at a decision level of like, this will fix that one problem without actually going under underneath the layers and realizing that everybody is going to be interfacing with this decision in a different way. And I think that speaks to when we think about well-being at work is you can't take a one size fits all approach. Everyone has different needs. There's different identities. There's different aspects of ourselves that have changed over the last couple of years. Um, So we can't make these sweeping decisions or one size fits all you know, uh, decisions in terms of programming or policy that we feel might solve a problem. So on the onset, hey, bring everybody back to work, we'll solve isolation, has now created a new problem where everybody doesn't have uh, the understanding of why we need to be in the office. Some folks don't go to the office. We have resentment from folks who are like, remote was working or hybrid was working for me. Now I'm being forced Uh, We have also the research that we have from folks who are racialized who have said being working remotely or having a hybrid uh, environment has helped them protect them from things like um, being in workplaces that are not psychologically safe, has helped shield them from things like racism. Um, So now it's like creating new issues. So it's like, hey, I, I spent three years not commuting and now I have to commute again. I've maybe moved. So I think one big gap is like, 
making sure that we're on the same page about what we're trying to solve for, that we're actually talking you know, to the collective and not making broad assumptions and sweeping assumptions of what we think should or will support everybody. I think another gap is oftentimes when it comes to the concept of workplace well-being, and I would even say this also applies to like teams like DEI, uh, is that it's often, this is HR's thing, right? It's like put together in an HR group, um, there might be a wellness team or it might be embedded into like a talent rewards or benefits team. And that is your, this is your bucket. Like you're responsible for the well-being of everybody. And that is a mistake, right? Like they can definitely be the stewards of maybe designing the strategy, helping to bring everybody together. But if you don't have um, the support of, you know, senior executives or have well-being be integrated into the structure of the organization. Like if you just keep it as, hey, HR, create some programs, create some benefits and perks and leave it there, you'll never be able to address maybe sy systemic things that might actually be hindering uh, or hurting the well-being of your employees. Things like overwork, you know, the, how is the work being designed? Is it designed in a way that it's actually allowing people the space to be able to, you know, to be able to perform and to thrive? It will impact things like safety. Like, do you have an environment that is safe or are we enabling toxicity, right? Are we enabling workplace trauma to occur? And that is not able to be solved by one singular HR team if there's no bought in from the executive level that it's seen as an organizational imperative as like less as you must make time for this versus this is how we operate. Lastly is um, like not incorporating um, like an intersectional approach with when we, how we think about well-being. So again, as I mentioned before, DEI is usually over here, wellness over there, benefits, you know, and it's like, they all have to be working together, specifically DEI and well-being, right? Like our identities have a different impact. You know, we we interface with well-being um, in so many different ways. Like uh, we're seeing even in the last couple of years with the pandemic, with women struggling with more feelings of burnout compared to men. Um, it just the, the fact with like the struggles of being a caregiver and how we've seen how it's disproportionately impacted you know, people in the workplace, all of these different factors, like the fact that Black women don't feel psychologically safe in organizations and are leaving or, or have made decisions to leave certain roles, that does have a huge impact into the, the types of programming that you might provide, you know, ensuring that there's cultural competence, like there are some um, identities and marginalized communities who, you know, when we think about mental health, it's sometimes stigmatized in their community. So they might not respond to certain types of messages or certain types of programming that like other communities might. So ensuring that that lens is not separated and that you're taking more of an approach where um, you're looking at things from an inclusionary, equitable and diverse lens is also very important. And the last thing I keep going, because <laughs> I'm just like, I think, I think you're going. Last thing for real is uh, another gap is make uh, creating programming or looking at wellness at work. And I think this is actually beyond work just as a whole, such an indiv individualized 
approach. Like mm-hmm. it's your responsibility. And if you're not doing it, you're not resilient enough. You know, here's some resilient training, like taking resilience training and making it the thing that, you know, that this is will solve you, solve the thing to be able to work here. And it's like, I often say like, well, if I have to be super resilient to work in this environment, like, what does that say about the environment? You know, it reminds me of something. I had a friend who had gone and she had done a a wellness workshop for a corporation. And I think she did it multiple times. And Mm -hmm. they kept bringing her back every year. But the thing is, nothing was changing on the organization's part. Yeah, yeah. And so it was kind of like, well, you're bringing me in to talk to the employees. They're feeling burnt out. They're feeling stressed. I give you this feedback. You don't change anything in the work structure. You don't change anything in the workload. You don't change anything to actually help those employees. And so then you bring me back the next year and we just keep repeating this same cycle. And so it's really important that there is a responsibility on the organization's part, not just to provide the programming, but also to say, how is our work structure, the very framework by which we are engaging our employees and and having them work? How is this conducive to their well-being? And if it's not, what changes do we need to make to our, our expectations, our delivery, our work environment, our work culture? to support well-being as well. And it goes um, exactly to what you're saying about too, we can't have these siloed departments that are like, okay, HR is going to do this. And HR, first of all, is the only one who knows what's going on, right? And so HR might have your back or whoever has got this wellness program or well-being program, they might say, okay, we've got this for the employees. And then, you know, you have the bosses who are like, no, you got to stay late after work every day, forget lunches. We got to hustle team. This is what we've got to do. I'm going to need you to work overtime. There's, There's a disconnect right there. I actually spoke to an executive about that exact same thing. He was talking about this well-being perk and they thought it was so great. And it's like, oh, we have all of these, you know, I don't want to get into the details, but he basically was saying like, we have all of this stuff for our employees for when they have to work really long nights. And I was like, I I don't think that that helps them. I don't think that's what they want. And that's why it's so important to talk to, talk to your employees. What do they want? What would actually help them feel supported? Because I find that a lot of organizations are spending all this money on different programs, different software, different apps, different perks, different benefits. And if people aren't using them, it's yeah. a waste of money on a waste of effort. And it is just for, um, it's like performative. And yeah. we don't want performative. We want transformative. Because at the end of the day, the organizations should want and care for employee retention, yeah. employee morale, right? And employee satisfaction. And so how can you get those things without talking to the people who are directly impacted to say, what do you need? And then stepping back and saying, okay, we have all this information. We're going to approach it from two ways. We're going to approach it from what can we change within us to better suit them? And then what can we add on? What programming can we add on in support of it as well? I could talk about this forever, but I'm going to have to close. But You know, before we close, my last question is, you know, on this show, one of the primary aims is to encourage women to prioritize their well-being, to pour back into themselves, to honor their needs, and also just to have honest conversations about their wellness journeys. And for myself as a wellness coach who supports women professionals and entrepreneurs, 
I see a lot of times uh, people are going through well-being challenges and they think that they're alone. And it's really not true. And especially for entrepreneurs, sometimes it's a different world and not everybody can kind of understand the the ups and downs of, of that entrepreneurship journey. So I, I'm curious to know, as an entrepreneur yourself, have you ever experienced challenges that have affected your well-being? And if so, can you share one tool or strategy that has helped you? Yeah, so entrepreneurship is definitely a roller coaster. <laughs> it will show you so many different sides of yourself, um, most of which of like the importance of like self-compassion because you will, I, it's, you know, when you're an employee, uh, you have kind of just defined things that you need to do in your role. And when you're an entrepreneur, you're essentially defining everything yourself, <laughs> right? So I would say like, one of the big struggles is like making that shift to be okay with not knowing, right? Being okay with imperfect action. Um, and as someone who is like a recovering perfectionist, like that is like a lesson that is always like um, is top of mind for myself. But I think for me, a strategy that has been really helpful is um, again, going back to community. So I have an accountability group that I meet with on a weekly basis. We jump on a Zoom call and we use that time to just like support each other in our goals, be very open and um, transparent about what we're struggling with, um, allow that time to give ourselves like um, to receive the tough love if we need it, if we're, if we're seeing we're kind of slacking and not even slacking and like not doing your work, but slacking in terms of how we're how we're talking about ourselves or how we're talking to ourselves right like so sometimes I might just have that little bit of that negative voice and like it's great to have somebody be like no we're not doing that <laughs> you're good like we're, we're only good words in this circle so I feel like that is important because I think sometimes it you it's so easy to put a lot of pressure on yourself to feel like I should have done a certain amount of things by now or when is certain so-and-so project going to happen or when is something going to happen? Um, and we can't do that, right? <laughs> like we're going to have, like life is cyclical. You're going to have ups and downs. Um, and I think it's important to know that you don't have to be on that journey alone. So uh, even if it's folks who may not be full-time entrepreneurs as well, having just kind of like that circle, that check-in that you can have as a, like a, your soft landing space, uh, to be able to share, to be able to dream together. Like I, I personally love being able to work with friends. Like uh, I'm working with on with friends on workshops. Like we'll book gigs and we'll be like, hey, do you want to come with me at this thing? And we're like we'll do it together. And, you know, it's like you're winning, I'm winning. Let's win together. <laughs> you know, let's let's yeah. lift and climb. You know, climb this ladder together. It's so much more fulfilling. So I think for me. Um, my best self-care practice uh, in this time is community care. That's such a, a powerful way to end. And um, I just appreciate this conversation so much. I We even went over time, but I, I was like, I was so engaged in what you were saying. And I think it's a really important conversation to have. And I think that the listeners will will really benefit from it as well. So just before we close, Shaman, I do want to give you the opportunity to uh, let everyone know how can they find you how can they learn more about what you offer 
Yeah. So you can find me at my website, which is siobhanjohn.com. So it's C-H-I-V-O-N-J-O-H-N.com. This fall, I'm launching a card deck called Easeful Ambition, uh, which is to help folks um, reimagine their definitions uh, to ambition. Uh, we've heard often like folks are feeling like they're losing their ambition. And I think it's just a sign of we're tired of working in a way that is more depleting us than restoring us and rejuvenating us. So I've created a card deck to help us like redefine our ambition instead of completely pushing it aside in a, in a way that feels empowering and nourishing to you. So you can learn more about that on my website and it'll be dropping uh, this fall. Awesome. So excited. Can't wait to see that. Again, Siobhan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And all of those links she mentioned will also be in the show notes. Until next time, continue to serve yourself, your loved ones, and your communities from a full cup.